Hey guys, welcome back to the Cod Pass podcast. I'm Detective Clamshell. It's only me right now. So let's talk fish, everybody. So Detective Clamshell, do you have any funny fish stories for us? Yeah, I have some funny fish stories. So during my detective work as a private eye, so I was investigating this one case and it was super funny. So it was just two months ago. I was getting a call from Fisherman Joe, and he was like, yo, 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 it's me, Fisherman Joe. And I was like, hey, what's up, Fisherman Joe? He's like, yo, 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 someone stole my, someone stole my fish. Okay. Yeah, I think it might have been a, a, a gnome. I think a gnome stole it. A gnome, you say? Yeah, a gnome. A gnome stole my fish. And I was like, I'll be right there. So I grab my gnome gun and I head out. So he was showing me this gnome, gnome video he caught on VHS. So I put it in. Here's here's what the VHS said. It's me, gnome me. I'm stealing this guy's fish. What the fuck, fisherman Joe? Yeah, this gnome stole my fish. So. I go to the crime scene, right? I see fish all taken away. I see gnome prints everywhere. I see a sign that says gnomes were here. And I was like, Fisherman Joe, are you trying to fuck with me? And he was like, no, this is true. The gnome went in my house and stole my fish and raped my kids. I was like, what? Actually, not the second part. I made that up so I could get you on this case. And I was like, okay, where was the last time you saw this gnome? And then he was like, I saw him going to the woods over there. Look, look at the gnome prints. And I inspect the gnome prints. And yep, those were gnome prints. So I follow those gnome prints. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see the gnome. And I was like, what? And I followed this gnome. Well, as it turns out, the gnome went into this cave. And there I saw it. A bunch of gnomes playing poker, smoking, gnome prostitution. It was, it was heinous. It was like the 1920s, but for gnomes. So I enter in. And there was just one particular detail. They were all wearing white caps white gnome caps and that's when i realized these weren't just normal gnomes these were racist gnomes so i had to stop these guys right so i kept punching these gnomes right then they overtook me they started punching back they just formed like a circle around me and they say and i was like what there's so many gnomes why are they all racist and then they started doing their racist chants. And then that's, that's where I blacked out. And then a few minutes later, I wake up tied to a stake. And with their no masks on, they say some, they say some devilish incantations. What the fuck? Are these even gnomes?
and then I asked them, are you guys gnomes? No. These were just kids all along. I'll bet racist kids, but these weren't gnomes. These are just kids in KKK masks. But why are they setting me on fire? And then I asked them, why are you guys setting me on fire? What the hell? That's like six racial slurs in the span of 30 seconds. What? But as I realized these were children and not gnomes, that gave me the strength to beat all the children. So I broke out of the stake before they set me on fire and I started punching them, right? And they started crying. But I saved the day and I found all the fish. They had 1,600 fish in their fish drawers, in the fish pockets. And I took them. And I go back to Farmer Jonah's like, yeah, I beat those kids. What? Yeah, I beat those kids. No, that's what? No, I wasn't talking about them. I was talking about the other ones. You just beat the, the elementary school recess. What? Why are they racist? Oh, they just do that. They're just racist. What the hell? So I just stole these kids' fish. This is super weird. Like, what? Anyways. That's where I learned never to beat gnomes ever again. And then Farmer Joe was like, What? Wow, oh, you're the worst detective ever. And that was my that was my story of uh Farmer Joe. Hey guys, it's me Carpy Carp, fan favorite of the Codpast. So I know I talked a lot about the incident from when I was seven, and I've talked a lot about the incidents in my life now in prison, but I haven't really talked about the in-between phase, and so I'd like to tell you all the story of how I got involved in the Fish Mafia. So, after Phil DeBass killed my parents, it was a devastating blow, of course. And I had nowhere to go because I was a seven-year-old in a big, big world. So, I had to turn to the Fish Mafia because they were the only ones who could know where Phil was. Uh, They didn't do much because they were fish and they were stupid. But they did take me in and raise me as one of their own. And uh, one story is I was rising up the ranks. I was a made, made man, a made fish, if you will, uh, in, their, in their world. And I was with my partner. He was, uh, he was a snailfish. And so we were both going on, and we had gone to order from our megalodon. Now, he was not a megalodon. He was a shark. But there are no mafia puns with shark names. So he was the megalodon. And he told us to go kill this one Russian fish, this one that lived in the Arctic. And so we were like, all right, well, we do what we have to do, right? So me and my boy Snailfish pull up to the apartment, and we knock on the door, and he opens it. And we're like, hey, you know, we're here for some money. We're here to collect. And the entire time, this guy is bad-lipping us, bad-mouthing us, and just really getting on our nerves. And so I did what I had to do for the fish family I was part of, and uh, I roughed him up a little bit. And when Megalodon said, kill him, What he really meant was take his money and get out of there. But I will admit that I had anger problems in the past before my therapy lessons in prison. So I accidentally 
messed this dude up, right? Almost, almost kill him. I thought I killed him. And Snailfish was like, holy shit, dude, you just fucking killed our target. And so we called the Megalodon, and he's like, oh, you fucking idiot. Just go hide the body, and we're going to pretend it never happened. Because he had ties with the Russian mafia, and not the fish one, the actual one. So we would have been fucked. So we had to go hide his body, and we were supposed to drive out to the woods. Now, Snailfish did not do well in the woods, because he was a fish. So we had to put him in a little bowl, and just hope that he survived. So I pulled up to the woods, and I threw him in the ground, and I said, all right, here's your time. And I shoot him. I shot him right in the head. But just like that, he got up, this Russian fish. And he says, it's going to take more than that to kill me. So I aim, I aim it right back at his head again, and I say, dig your own goddamn grave right now. And so with Snailfish watching, we watch him dig his own grave. And all of a sudden, with the shovel, I turn away for one goddamn second, he just whacks me in the head. Knocked out almost cold. Snailfish had to tip over his bowl and come rolling over to me just to save my life. And when I woke up, Snailfish was on the ground flopping away. I put in my little water bottle I had in my backpack, but by the time I looked around, the Russian fish was already on his way out. So I start sprinting through the woods and I start shooting it up again, right? Because, I mean, this guy should have been dead. There's no way he could have been alive. We were in the middle of the forest. He had taken two gunshots to the head. And he was digging his own grave, and I still wasn't able to kill him. So I go and I try to murder this guy, and I lose him in the woods. I lose him. He's gone. And so what happens is uh, we get lost in the woods. Me and Snailfish look around, and we're like, fuck. Not only did we not get the Russian guy, but now we're lost in the goddamn woods. So we tried calling up Megalodon, but because the cell service was out so bad, because we were in the forest... We couldn't even communicate with them. So we were just stuck there, and we had to just sit pretty. So we were walking around. I lost a sock at one point. I thought I was going to get frostbite. You know, it was it was looking bad for me. We found this old little pickup truck, this old dirty pickup truck that was abandoned in the woods. And so we crawl in, and I'm keeping snailfish warm right next to me. And all of a sudden, we see it. Ketchup packets right on the ground. And so we both look at each other and we say, this is our chance of survival. And so I will admit, and this pains me to say it, but even though Snailfish was my little guy, my partner, I ate those ketchup packets. Uh, he, he looked at me and he saw me eat those ketchup packets. And I saw the look in his eyes. I saw the betrayal. And he tried to fight back. You know, he, uh, he pushed against the water bottle pretty hard, you know, spilled some on me. But I, I just had to go for the ketchup. It was just survival. So eventually I tried calling up Megalodon again, and it worked out. And I was able to contact him, and he said he was going to have somebody out on the way. Uh, Snailfish, sadly, the, accused me of blaming him for what just happened, uh, which, of course, I would not have done. I, was, I, I loved the man. I just had to drink the ketchup packets. But tensions were high between us. And so Snailfish started getting aggressive and we had like a big fight and ended with me bloodied up in the snow and Megalodon having no idea how to contact us. The next time I woke up, I was in a fish hospital with Snailfish right next to me and Megalodon to the right. And Megalodon looked at me and he said, look, you made some mistakes. You put yourself first over Snailfish here. 
but you did the right thing and you followed my orders, and so you're good to go. And Snailfish said, you know what? You might have drinking those ketchup packets, but I'm sorry for beating you up, and we're good to go. And that was when I learned the importance of friendship and family. And so it was because of that that even though I still hate fish, don't get me wrong, I hate fish, I'm working on it, but I hate fish, I learned the importance of kindness in this world because of snailfish, megalodon, and that Russian fish that we never saw again. Hey guys, it's me, Miss Krill on the podcast, Codpass podcast, all that fun stuff. Um, so apparently everyone has already done their own thing, so I guess I'll be doing my own thing too. And the best thing that I can really talk about is myself. Um, so you know, sometimes it's a little bit difficult being on the cod pass because everyone has their own ideals and the way of life. Additionally, they always bring me down. So this is my only time where I can actually talk with no one else interrupting me. How exciting is that? So where to begin in the life of Miss Krill? Well, I grew up in a family of many, many Krill. You know, I started out from the eggshell and then I grew up and everyone had already hatched before me. I was actually the smallest in the runt of the litter, to be honest, you know? I was the last one to be born. And you know the way that Krill are. Uh, in essence, everyone pretty much just left and they left me behind. And so from that point on, I had to figure out my way within the Krill world. Like we have the stories about how baby turtles have to find their way from their from hatching on the beach and then finding their way into the sea uh i had to find my way as a krill moving up in the world you know there were there were some dark times but i was really inspired when i almost got eaten this one time so i always like to brag and say that krill are the foundation in the in the food chain you know we always we provide for all of the other critters and creatures that lie in the sea. But it's frustrating sometimes being the smallest and always being at the bottom. And so this one time, I was almost eaten. I got caught up in, in some, some risky business trying to make a profit out in some gambling casinos. You know how it is sometimes. And while I was out there, uh, some dudes saw that I was losing just, just quite a bit of money. And so then they brought me into the back room type of deal. And in the back room, they confronted me. You know, they, they looked at me up and down and they're like, what is this Krill doing a casino? So they said, well, we have an opportunity for you to make some extra cash or you can be eaten. And so it was either me or their next meal. And then from there, they gave me a job offer. You know, I thought that I would have to sacrifice my body or something like that. But who really wants to sexualize a krill, am I right? So what happened in the end of it was they essentially wanted me, wanted me to do a little bit of uh, espionage, so to speak. Use my small stature in order to get my way and give them information. So I can't really go into details about that entire story. But in the end of it, really... I learned a little bit about the underlying story and how the real fish government along with the fish economy truly runs. There are some people and some fish out in this world who have their own little ticks, I guess is the term that I'd like to say. And really, 
being that innocent individual who no one suspects, being the smallest one within the litter and being the bottom of the food chain, people think that they can really take advantage of you. Fish see you and they're like, oh, my next meal. And then if you can finagle your way and find a way to finesse and truly use that gift of gab, somehow a small krill can get into your mind and then they just don't care about you. You know, they think that they're really tough shit. And then they say to themselves like, oh, she's no big deal. She's probably not going to affect the way that I live. Just let her in, you know? She's pretty much harmless. So through my years of uh, little espionage working for that underground casino, I finally found what really made that casino tick. Now, I won't really go into details about how I really got my fish fortune and how my whole philanthropist works. But um, in essence, that's my background of how I got into this business. Truly, what you should look for in life is finding your way to take advantage of a situation. If you think that you're the underdog, if you think that you're the underdog fish type of deal, there's always going to be a way for you to... F- to take advantage and sort of manipulate the situation around you is what I want to say. No one will suspect that the peppy person, the one who seems to be the teacher's pet, who is usually crestfallen or can be at the bottom of the pyramid, would harm someone who's all the way at the top. It's truly satisfying to see the psychology and turn of events when you realize that you're the person who won and had the upper hand compared to the person who put you down and condescended on you. So find a way to manipulate your situation, and maybe, just maybe, you could become a good philanthropist like me. (laughs) Y'all are listening to J-A-M-E Radio, 99.6. We've got a few callers calling in today. Uh, we got some music for y'all, uh, and all around, we just want you to keep up the uh, the good vibes, the good vibes of the uh, in this uh, scary scary time. So uh, let's uh, let's take our first call. Uh, put him through. Uh, yeah, let's get it. That seems to be a. Uh, we seem to have had a prank caller. That was a pizza restaurant. It seemed like uh, I don't know who gave them uh, this radio station's number, but we're just a reminder: you can call uh, our station number anytime you need to talk. If you need to vent. If you need advice, you know, just call us up. Let us know. Uh, let's go to our next caller. Do you want to order pizza? Do you want to order pizza? Do you want to order pizza? <laughs> I don't know how these people keep getting through our filter. Uh, Jamie is supposed to take care of this, but um, he seems to be letting the riffraff through. Um, let's get a, let's get a real caller. Let's get a real caller and to talk about their real fish problems. Uh, hello? Uh, you're on the air, Steven. 
Hey, it's me, Stephen, the caller on this radio station. I have a question. Yeah, what's your question, Stephen? It's not. That's, that's just not a question at all, Stephen. I don't understand why you'd call up my radio station at this time of night. Just to say, we snot on the line. I feel you're disrespecting me, disrespecting the cod past, and you're disrespecting the world. I'm very sorry. I, Stephen, apologize greatly to all the listeners. You know what, Stephen? We can all learn a lot from that. I'm going to be reading a little bit from, uh, what's it called? The Call of Cthulhu uh, by H.P. Lovecraft. Now, H.P. Lovecraft was a famous Tennessean, uh, and he was known for his catchphrase, uh, you know, H.P. Lovecraft. Cat name, am I right, Tennesseans? Ha <laughs> ha, yeah. Um, so let's pull, that, uh, let's pull that up, Booker. Most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live in a placid island of ignorance in the midst of the black seas of infinity. And it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little. But some day, the piecing together of dissociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality, and a far frightful position therein, that we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee from the deadly light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. Uh, and so we've talked about Cthulhu a good bunch on the uh, podcast thus far. But a lot of people don't know uh, the origin, so I'm going to give you all a little breakdown of uh, what he's all about. Let's go. <clears throat> Above these apparent hieroglyphics was a figure of, of evidently pictorial intent, though its impressionistic execution forbade a very clear idea of its nature. It seemed to be a monster, or symbol representing a monster, a form of which only a deceased fancy could conceive. If I say that my somewhat extravagant imagination yielded uh, simultaneously pictures of an octopus, a dragon, and a human caricature, I shall not be unfaithful to the spirit of the thing. A pulpy, tentacle head surmounted a grotesque and scaly body with rudimentary wings, but it was the general outline of the whole which made it most shockingly frightful. It was a vague suggestion of a cyclopean architectural background. And now, here... We have Cthulhu himself calling in to JME, the radio station. Uh, Cthulhu, I'm about to put you in. You're on the air. Hello. Why do we want to order? Hello. Why do we want to order? Hello. Why do we want to order? Hello. Real shit. Real shit from Cthulhu the man himself. All right, back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Uh, hey, guys, my name is Danky Dogfish. Um, I've, had a, I've had a rough life. Uh, as you may know, suicide runs in my family, um, which is probably why they're all dead. Um, so recently, uh, I, actually, I was actually released from the asylum. And uh, I, I think they gave me some of the wrong drugs because I now have the power to smell depression. I can smell it from miles away. It's really cool. 
I've dedicated my life to uh, to adopting a superhero alias. It is Danky Man because my anonymity isn't going to protect anyone. So I've been I've been on some missions to save people lately. I what I do is when I smell like a really bad depression, I go there and check on them to see if they're going to kill themselves. So recently, there was this uh, this one case where this guy, I, when I got to his house, it was already hung. He was at the opposite end of the hotel, so I thought the fastest way to get him down would be to shoot the rope. Uh, pulled out my gun. I'm a proficient gunslinger. Uh, but in this case, I did, I did miss the rope, and let's just say the way I missed the rope... Uh, Made, made it so that there wasn't really a reason for a second shot at this point. So, uh, this one time, I was at a mafia birthday party for uh, my sister Jasmine G. Goldfish, and oh man, the craziest stuff happened. So, first off, she introduced everyone to her birthday party, but then all of a sudden, her husband, Bubble Eye Bobby, just came, stumbled in fully drunk and nude. It was crazy as all crap. Bubble Eye Bobby swung his arm at Hwanji Goldfish, but uh, instead he accidentally hit his son, Jank G. Goldfish. It was such a horrible hit. Oh my god, Jank almost died. No, wait, did he die? Hold on. Let me, let me quickly talk to my uh, uh, sister, Jamie G. Goldfish, and confirm. Jamie? Did Jank die? She says, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. Bubble Eye Bobby, nude, drunk, absolutely wasted, comes in, swings his fist, and swings his fin because he's a fish. Yep, a goldfish. Absolutely obliterates Jank. And then <sighs> makes a move at uh, his stepmother, Joy G. Goldfish. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Because then, right at that moment, Jasmine gut punched him. She's like, no, you don't do that here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sue ya. So then Joy punched Jasmine for being a fish. And then there was a fish brawl that broke out. Super crazy. Uh, all of a sudden, Jaji Goldfish stepped in, and then he just instantly cleared the air with this amazing, like, puff of smoke. It was crazy. It's all crap. Uh, disaster completely averted, by the way, which is super crazy. So then everyone just calmed down, had some cake. Uh, and then Justin G. Goldfish, my step-great-great-grandfather, came in. And he's like, hey, guys, what's up? I've, I brought my wife, Jolene G. Goldfish, and uh, we have our kid, Gemma G. Goldfish, uh, here to keep everyone company. But then no one really likes Justin, so they killed him. So, yeah, Justin died right then and there, which is super crazy. Jolene just kind of broke into tears. So then she ran up to Bubble Eye Bobby and stabbed him. So, yeah, it's a damn shame that he died too. Uh, Yeah, so at that point, there was a whole bloodbath. So I just kind of left the scene. Uh, I heard Jason G. Goldfish say, take this, you fishing fish. And then I heard Jake G., the very distinct scream of Jake G. Goldfish. Well, uh, he got shot a couple times uh it was a damn shame. So yeah, Jake died too. He was a good fish. Yeah. So, but fortunately, right as I was about to completely vacate the premises of the as the police are coming, 
DJ Dr. DMD came in, played some really sick beats, and then everyone just jammed out. It was crazy. Uh, Bobble Eye Bobby came back from the dead somehow, and everyone just kind of uh, just, just started dancing and uh, doing speed. And then J.G. Goldfish, son of Jaji Goldfish, died, which is very sad. So, yeah. Uh, everyone started jamming out, doing fish speed, and then... Well, I kind of came back to the premises because I heard that Speed was there. So, yeah, I, I took some, had a good party. Yeah, I had some cake, had a little bit of booze. Uh, Yeah. So then Jaw's wife, Jackie G. Goldfish, went up to me. She's like, hey, join this party? You single? I said, yes. And then nothing came of the, nothing came of that event. So I just kind of kept partying. So... As soon as Jackie left, my step-cousin Josh G. Goldfish, half-brother of Jack G. Goldfish, John G. Goldfish, and Jim G. Goldfish, came up to me. He's like, hey, man, uh, I got you this wet Cheeto. And then uh, he gave it to me. I didn't know what to do with it, but I didn't eat it. He just kind of stared at me for a while until I... Pretended to eat it. You know, I I, I gave him, I kind of turned to my side and I pretended to go, and then I dropped the Cheeto into my shirt pocket and I pretended to go, oh yeah, it was real delicious. But uh, yeah, that, Josh was satisfied with that and it's uh, pretty much how my night ended. I just kind of partied. Eventually I got really tired because my fish fins or my fish leg fins got really, really tired from partying. So I just kind of fell over. And then I, Took a real good power snooze. Yeah. So that's my uh, fish mafia party. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Those were some pretty great monologues, everyone. Thank you for watching our six-person monologue. Or should I say one-person monologue? Hey, guys, it was me. The entire time, radioactive blister blobfish. Don't forget to follow us on social media, everybody, on the underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram.